Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. I'm excited, for, very excited this morning. Um, those of you who been with us know that um, we've had, uh, uh, just this month, I've had some of our teachers here in the church just uh, bringing the message around the gospel, especially this time of the year to just focus on the gospel. And uh, this is Trinity Terry, his wife Tracy, their son Gavin, been among us. They... Uh, involved in our church, in this community in a big way, help lead um, Sunday night right here at the Outpost. Just to encourage you, every Sunday night, 6 p.m. right here to 7.30, we'll be here. We, uh, just, we pray. We have just kind of a microchurch, and this is a time of corporate prayer. It's a great time, especially this season, to come and just be quiet before the Lord, and uh, we'll be here tonight, all right, yeah. six, uh, 6 o'clock right here. Um, and uh, boy, Trinity, they lead a microchurch, serve in many ways. Obviously, I can't wait for you to hear his heart, so I'm going to just pray, bro, and let you have it here. Father, thank you for my brother. Thank you for his gift, his passion for you, Lord. Father, I pray that you would just bring the message to our hearts. Open our ears, our hearts this morning. Uh, Lord, let us hear your word. And uh, Lord, let it just come out of him, Lord, just uh, this word I know that's burning in his heart. Father, uh, I know we're going to be in Ephesians 2, and just where Paul talks about the immeasurable gift of grace, just this mm. immeasurable gift, God, that you've given to us. Lord, I pray you'll magnify that this morning and uh, through my brother. Bless him, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, these lights are bright. Okay, um, so we're in the middle of a series entitled The Greatest Gift, and, and those of you that have been with us for the last couple of weeks, we've seen um, that the greatest gift, it is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And today I want to continue to look at what the gospel is, how it transforms our life, and then I want to look at um, and dive a little bit deeper into what do we do with this great gift? How do we steward the gospel of Jesus Christ in our life? Um, what is its purpose? Is it just to, to save us and, and get us a ticket to heaven? Or do we have a purpose here on this earth to steward that gospel? Um, but before I do that, I, I want to ask a question. What is the best gift that you've ever been given? Think about that for a moment. What is the best gift that someone has ever given to you? And Christmas is right around the corner here, so now is a, I created this moment for you to bump your neighbor and let them know that you're still waiting on, on the best <laughs> gift that you've ever been given. And you can thank me for that later. But the, the greatest gift, the best gift that I've ever been given is... I brought it here, but I left it over there. It's a, it's a, a, a guitar. And, um, you know, some of you were here when I led worship a few months ago on a Sunday morning, and I, I have my own guitar, but I, I wasn't able to plug it in, so it was amp able to amplify it um, for the Sunday morning surface. And so my friend graciously let me borrow his guitar, which was awesome, but the problem was that it was way, 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 way better than mine, to the point where I never even want to look at mine again. Um, yeah, so I, I became, that next week, I became obsessed with, with a Taylor guitar and, and like getting a Taylor guitar. Um, a little side note, that's, that's how I'm wired. I, I get something in my head and I get obsessed with it and I go after it till I get it. If you're ever wondering how this bald guy got that beautiful wife over there, that's how. So, so I know you all were wondering that, and, but anyways. So I was obsessed with this guitar, and I was looking online and researching it and looking at reviews and found a link to, to buy one, and I sent it to my, my wife, and um, those of you that know her know that she's very frugal, 
My son and I like to, to call her a little bit tight when it comes to spending money, but she's frugal. That's the respectful way of saying it. She's frugal. Um, and so she said, you already have a guitar though. So she was right, but I responded back to her. I said, um, I do have a guitar, but not all guitars are created equally. <laughs> and um, so then she backed me into a corner a little bit and, and said, okay, well, if you want a tailor guitar so bad, then ask the Lord to give you one. And so I actually did that. And it's the first time that I think that I can remember that I ever prayed for something specific, like a material uh, possession. I just don't do that. Um, but in this moment, <laughs> she backed me into a corner. So I said, Lord, would you give me a Taylor guitar? Just like that. It was, it was genuine, but it was very sheepish. I said, God, would you give me a Taylor guitar? And um, that night, it was a Friday, and um, that night we went out to dinner with a group of, of our, our close friends here. And when we got back, we pull up to the house. We're getting out, and um, my friend says, hold on a second, I got something for you. And he, he pops the tailgate of his vehicle, reaches in, grabs this Taylor guitar, and hands it to me. And yeah, that's, that's, it was, it was mind-boggling. And I was just in awe of God and his goodness. And the fact that he heard that prayer, so specific, it's, it's wild. Um, but I went in the house, and, and, and Tracy and I, we, we, we high-fived, and we celebrated, and we're like, God is so real, you know? And we, we celebrated for a little bit. It was about bedtime. We go to bed about like 8, 30, 9 o'clock in our house. <laughs> um, so we were already pushing it. Tracy, she doesn't care how big a miracle it is. It, you don't screw with her, her sorry, you don't mess with her, her, her sleep time. Um, and... Uh, so she eventually went up to bed, and guys, I, I sat there all night long. I sat there all night long, I just sat there with God in this guitar, and, and I just thanked him. I worshiped him. And I didn't play the guitar because I was being respectful and, and didn't want to keep my wife up, but I, I literally just sat there all night long. I didn't sleep, maybe an hour. Me, the Lord, and the guitar, and we just had a Holy Ghost time, and, and my heart was just so full of gratitude of what he had done. And so that's, that's, that's my story um, of, of my guitar. That's the best gift that I've ever been given. Um, and in that moment, that night, I, I kind of felt like the Lord was, was asking me to start to share this gift of worship with others. Which if you know my story and you know me well, um, you know that playing and singing and leading in worship is not something that I ne necessarily aspire to do with other people. I love to sit in my room and, and worship God on my own, but when it comes to leading, it's not something that, that I necessarily enjoy doing. Um, but that night, I felt the Lord was just kind of kicking me out of the nest a little bit. and said, would you share this gift with others? And um, interestingly enough, the outpost was, was kicking off about that same time, and so that, that gave me this like natural door to walk through and, and begin to lead worship in, in a small setting. And it's been really, really good. Um, not my worship, I don't care if they like it or not, but it's been really good just to feel the smile of God, knowing that, that I'm stewarding the gift that he gave me, and I'm doing with it what he asked me to do. And um, isn't that how it is with all of our gifts? Isn't that how we should look at all of life? Whatever the Lord gives us, 
whether it's a material blessing or if it's a spiritual gift, we are called to steward those gifts. We are called to steward our life in such a way that pleases the Lord. Um, and that includes the gospel, stewarding the gospel in our life. So with that, the title of my message is The Gift That Keeps On Giving. So turn with me, if you would, please, to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And this is going to be our main text for the message. And so as you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and open us up in prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. Lord, to share your word with your people, it's, it's an honor and it's a privilege. And God, you know that, you know my heart, you know I would never stand up here and, and, and think that I have something to give to someone lest you, lest you gave it to me. And God, I believe that you have given me a message. So Lord, help me to communicate it clearly. God, to speak your truth and to speak your word. God, help us to steward the gospel and to steward it well. Transform us here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the gospel, it's woven throughout the entire Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, we see the story of God unfolding, right? We see creation. We see the fall. We see redemption. You can find it anywhere. But in my opinion, I don't think that there's another place quite like Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, that spells it out and lays that foundation. Um, it's clear, it's concise, it's a good one to memorize. Um, but this passage, it gives us a clear understanding of what the gospel is. And, and, how we, and we have to have this understanding of what the gospel is if we're ever going to steward it well, don't we? We have to know what it is to fulfill our purpose in receiving it. For the gospel is the foundation from which everything else in our life ought to flow. That revelation, that transforming work of the gospel, it all starts right there. It all starts there, there with a new heart. But sadly, if you were to go across this room, across churches all across this nation, and you asked, what is the gospel? If I started over here and made my way all the way across and asked every one of you individually, what is the gospel? By the time we got over here, we'd have a lot of different answers, wouldn't we? Some of them right, some of them wrong, but we'd have a lot of answers. And, and that's, that's because we have convoluted this thing, man. As the church, we have, we have watered it down, we have complicated it to the point that a lot of people sitting in churches all across this nation have no idea what the gospel is. They couldn't explain it if their life depended on it. So this morning, we're, we're going to take a little bit of time and, and, and establish that foundation um, because, like I said, that's from where everything else is going to flow. So we understand uh, foundations in, in the physical, right? We got, we got builders, we got developers here, and they could, they could speak to this better than I, Guthrie or Bryant, and he'd take a stab at her. But foundations are, are the most important part of a structure, are they not? Yell at me, Brian, if I'm wrong. Okay. <laughs> Foundations are the most important part of a house or a structure. Because once you start building on that thing, man, if, if that foundation is compromised, 
if it's cracked, if it's, if it's uneven, whatever, you're going to have problems as you start to build up. And if it's just a little bit of a problem, you might have doors that, that don't open and close right, windows don't open and shut right, cracks in the wall. But if that foundation is really messed up, you're going to have, you're going to have serious issues with that house or with that structure. And as you build on it, man, it's going to be a danger. It's going to be dangerous to live in. I mean, it's going to be un, perhaps even unoccupiable. You can't even live in it if that foundation is really messed up. It could be condemned, right? The city will condemn a place that, that's dangerous. So it's important that, that we lay a solid foundation. Uh, John Wooden, who he's... Anybody know who he is? John Wooden? Coach Wooden? He's arguably the greatest coach in any sport. Um, I would say and argue that, that Tom Osborne and Scott Frost of Nebraska are better, but I digress. I'm not going there. I'm not preaching the gospel of Nebraska football today. Coach Wooden, he, for those of you that don't know, um, he, he, man, his focus was the fundamentals, the basics, the foundational things before he ever let these kids play on, on the court. For those of you that don't know who he is, he was a, he was a coach and a player. He, he won uh, 10 national championships in the span of 12 years. That's unheard of. Um, as, the, as the coach for UCLA, he, he won a record seven national championships in a row. I see Bosco Grin. We're talking basketball. He's, he's happy right now. Um, within this period, he, his team's won a record 88 consecutive games. I mean, these are records and stats that may never, ever be broken. But that's because I believe in part, he focused so much on the foundation of that sport, on the basics, the fundamentals. Uh, Bill Walton, um, who's also a Hall of Famer, he, he shared some of Wooden's uh, philosophy in, in a book here. He says this, I had dreamed about playing basketball at UCLA since I was 12. Now, here I was, and the reality was better than the dream. We were ready to roll all day that first day, and just before the start, always at 3.30 p.m., Coach Wooden called all the freshmen together and walked us into the locker room. There he sat down on a stool and began his lecture to us. We sat there like sponges, ready to soak it all up, knowing that he was about to give us the key to heaven on earth, show us the path, and guide us to become the next great team in history. His first words, men, this is how you put your shoes and socks on. We were stunned. We looked around and at each other. Are you kidding me? We're all high school, all American players. And, and here's this silly little old man showing us how to put on our shoes and socks. But meticulously, he demonstrated exactly how we were to apply the socks over our toes and, and pull them up tight to eliminate the possibility of any wrinkles, which could cause blisters. And then how to open our shoes so that they would slide on easily and not disturb the wrinkle-free socks. And then how to properly lace and tie them snugly and completely. Over the course of time, he showed us how to tuck in our shirts and tie the proper knot on the drawstring of our game shorts. This is wild, isn't it? How to shower and properly dry ourselves, especially our hair, which, uh, come on, bring it on, um, uh, which we were always to keep short and neat. How we would practice and prepare for games and also how we should study for our classes and conduct our lives. So in the words of, of Coach Wooden today, men, women, crossroads, this is how you put your shoes and socks on. 
And it doesn't matter if, if you've been in church, if you've been a believer for decades, if you're Pastor Steve, if you're an elder, if you serve on, on, on some capacity on a leadership team here, or if this is the first time you're hearing the gospel today. This morning, we're all going to learn to put our shoes and socks on together as we explore the foundation of our faith. Amen? Amen. So let's start by asking, what is the gospel? This is a question of great concern. It's a question of great concern because our eternal destiny is staked on us getting the gospel right. Did you catch that? Let me say it again. Our eternal destiny is staked on us getting the gospel right. We've talked about the many different definitions. There's false gospels all over the place. They insert Jesus into, into every religion anymore. There's false gospels everywhere. But it's the story of God. It's creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. Simply put, the gospel means the good news. And I've got a working definition here. If, if, if you click, there we go. The, the gospel, and you can take a picture or write this down. The gospel or the good news is that even though we are rebels against God in our sin, and we deserve to die because of our rebellion against the king, instead of destroying us, God in his love, grace, and mercy sent his son Jesus. God incarnate. He lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we should have died. And then he rose again. Hallelujah. If we are united to him by faith, then we will rise along with him to new spiritual life. Our new life will be made up of good works that confirm our faith and point others to him. So Ephesians chapter two, you, you turned there a while ago. Um, hope you're still there. If you could put that up. Yeah, here we go. Um, and you were dead in trespasses, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this passage can be broken down in a lot of ways, but, but for the purpose of today's message, I, I've broken it down into four Four areas. Number one, man's nature. Number two, the gift of salvation. And number three, the promise of the gift. And finally, the number four, the purpose of the gift. So let's dive in here. Verse one through three. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So these first few verses, they take us back to the very beginning, right? In Genesis, um, the story of creation, where God created man, he created man in his own image. And he gave him, he, he gave him rule and reign. He, that was, the, that was the, the, the original plan, right? To rule and reign with God. How amazing is that? He created this earth for us to rule and reign with him, to, to multiply, to subdue it. And then he set this, this one little tree. I don't know if it was little, but it was a tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was the one thing that was forbidden. In, all, in the entire earth, that was the one thing that was forbidden. And the Bible's not clear. It doesn't tell us how long it was before he gave that instruction to the time they partook of it. But we all know what happened, right? Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve fell short there in the garden. They chose their own destiny. And when they did, they became children of wrath, like this passage says. Just like the rest of mankind, that's all of us. And just like Adam and Eve, we have all chosen our own way and become children of wrath. Some of you have, have heard parts of my testimony. Some of you have heard all of it. Um, I'm going I'm I'm to um, narrow it down today to just a couple minutes. But I was raised in, in a, a good home, my, a loving home. My mom, she loves me to this day as much as a mom could love her son. And... She was a good mom, um, but it was a broken home. My dad was there. He was in town, and I loved him, had a good relationship with him. But as far as raising me, my mom did it all. She provided for us, um, and she worked very hard to do that. So by, by working hard and working long hours and, and nights often, that left me to run and, and rule my own life, and it was not good. I, I, I became a rebel very early on. And by junior high and high school, I was, I was, I was a party animal. I, I loved to drink and do drugs and, and fight and everything else that goes along with it. And um, really fighting was, that was my favorite thing to do. It was the, it was the passion of my flesh. Um, my favorite thing to do, me and my best friend, we would go into parties and we would just clear them out. We just loved to fight. The thrill of knocking another man out, it just, it just empowered me. I'm sorry, that's not funny, but it empowered me, and it just fueled this, this thing in me um, and this reputation that I had. But by the time I was 16, 17 years old, I was walking into bars, me and my friend, we'd go into bars just to fight grown men because I was so bored with people my own age. Um, that's what I loved to do. And, and it came to a head one, one night, the same best friend and I, we were, we were in his basement, and um, we were talking about this stuff. Like we're so we're so we're so tough, you know. We're fearless. Like everybody's afraid of us, and um, you know we're just like just feeding this monster. And at one point, we must have struck a nerve with God, because I'm telling you right now, the fear of God fell in that place in such a tangible way that had two guys that that, that thought they were fearless just moments before. We, we were trembling and shaking and crying when the Spirit of God fell in that room. And I've heard teachings on the fear of God, and they say it's a healthy respect, a reverence, 
I get that. I think that's biblical. This was not that. This, was, this had us to our knees. We were shaking and trembling and crying. And to the point we didn't know what else to do. So I, I grabbed his hand. I said, God, if you're real, please don't let me die like this. I know that if it, like eternity was more real than the hand in front of me right now. I, I promise you. I said, God, if you're real, don't let me die like this. I know that if I die, I'm not going to be in eternity, in, in eternity with you. And then I went on to make, make deals with him or try to make a deal with him. I said, God, if, if you'll save me, I'll never drink again. I'll never do drugs again. I'll never have sex again. I'll never fight again. And at the end of my prayer, I, I don't know how I knew to say in Jesus' name, other than I'd been to a couple of fellowship of Christian athlete events that, that maybe planted some seed. But I said, in Jesus' name. And when I did, I stood up and I began to shout, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And the, I didn't know what I was saying. It freaked me out. It freaked my buddy out. Because <laughs> like I said, I never had any context for that. I'd never been to church a day in my life. But I know now looking back, that's when the spirit of God came and he set up residence in this temple. And I would love to tell you that I kept up my end of the deal. But the fact is I've blown it. I've fallen short. I've messed up more times than I could ever count. But that day on June 7th, 1996, God created in me a brand new heart, man. He changed everything about me. I was never, ever, ever the same. I was never the same. And Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for that. Number two, but God, come on. The gift of salvation. Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The greatest gift of all time, we talked about my guitar. That was pretty dang good. And some of you thought of some gifts that have been given to you over the years. But they all pale in comparison to this gift of salvation. They all pale in comparison to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that Lee did a good job last week of sharing with us and teaching us that, man, we did nothing to deserve it. It's a gift. There's nothing that we could do to earn our salvation. In fact, verse 5, it says that we were dead in our trespasses. I was dead in my trespasses. I wasn't looking for God. I was dead. Let me ask you something. Can a dead person do anything to help themselves? Can, let's step back a moment. Can an unconscious person do anything to help themselves? No. We do nothing to help ourselves. And I've got a, another little uh, story that I'd love to share with you that helps paint a picture of just how helpless we were before God breathed his life into us. So we, we, we take this trip every year, a group of us. Um, we go down to Texas and, and we celebrate Sukkot. And it's... It's the most incredible time. It's our highlight, family highlight every year. Um, we get down there, and we're just with our friends. There's a group of us from Aspen that go down there and to our friend's ranch in Texas. 
And we got down there. We always go a couple days early or a day or two early just to be with each other and, and just enjoy each other. And this particular year, three years ago, um, we were standing there. Again, the, the party hadn't started. Uh, the, the larger gathering, nobody was there. It was just maybe a dozen of us from here in Aspen. And um, we're standing there. And the, Beck always calls it a, a adult uh, Disneyland because it is. We get down there and there's just like, there's ATVs and fishing and swimming and basketball, volleyball, golf, like hunting. Like you can do literally anything. Our friend throws a pretty dang good party. But we get down there and we're standing, we're, we're standing there on the lake and we're watching our kids all play and they're getting pulled around on the inner tube and hooting and hollering and having a time of their life. And as we're standing there, we're talking, we're thinking, man, and we're, we're in conversation. I think Reagans were standing there, Graffas, and um, I think Brett, Brett was standing there. But uh, we're just like, man, this is incredible. We get to... Our kids get to grow up in this kind of environment where God is so real and like surrounded by people who love them and, and are godly and all this fun stuff, right? And we're in mid-conversation. And as we're watching out on the lake, the kids are out there getting pulled around by a jet ski on an inner tube, just having a, the time of their life. And it was like slow motion. We're standing on, on this side of the lake and on the complete opposite side, um, we're watching as, as this... Jet ski whips, whips the tube around, and they were pretty close to, to the shore. And we're like, that's, way, that's, that's really close. And, and we watched as that rope came tight, and it shot one of the kids off the inner tube, and boom, smack headfirst into a rock wall. And she, she bounced off of it and face down into the lake. And in that moment, we, we threw whatever was in our hands, our cell phones, whatever was in our hands, and we tossed it. Nothing else mattered in that moment. And we ran as fast as we could to the other side of the lake. And when we got there, uh, Bryant, he, he jumped in the lake and, and pulled this, this sweet little girl out. She's the same age as my son. She's 15 now. Um, he pulled her out of the lake. And uh, we didn't even recognize her the first couple minutes. We, it took a little bit to register. Her head ended up, it was crushed in seven different places. Um, her ankle was broken. There was blood. She was unconscious, not breathing, blue in the face. And uh, as we got her on the, on the, on the shore, we, uh, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to do. None of us had the skills to bring this little girl back to life. None of us knew first aid. None of us knew CPR. So we're standing here, and you want to talk about a gift. I, I don't know what you think or what you believe about spiritual gifts, but there's never been a time in my life that I've been more happy and grateful for the gift of tongues. Because we, <laughs> I'm telling you right now, that's all we had to offer. The English words of desperation had nothing in this moment. So we just let out these cries in other tongues, all of us. We're just praying in other tongues. God, you have to intervene. You have to intervene. There's, we've got nothing to do. We felt so helpless. And before long, she, she it felt like hours, but she ended up coughing up some water, and then she began to breathe very shallow. Her eyes cracked open, and, and, and she began to say a couple words here and there. Meanwhile, we have, obviously, someone on the phone with 911, and they're like, we do not need an ambulance. We need a helicopter, and we need it right now. So eventually, the, the helicopter gets there, the flight for life. 
they load her up, take her off to, to Houston Hospital, and um, man, I'm so happy to say that, that Callie is, she's made a full recovery. She's running track in Texas. She's 15 years old, full of the Holy Ghost and fire. If you ever get around her, you, your, your life will be changed. She, she's, she's, she's such a gift to the body of Christ, and uh, she, will, she will light you up, and she will share the good news of, God, of the gospel with you any chance she gets. But I share that story with you to just paint a vivid picture of how helpless we are in our spiritual state before God. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing that our friends can do, no matter how much they love us, no matter how spiritual they are, there's nothing that they can do. It's only God. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Only Jesus. And I will stand to my dying day believing that we saw physical resurrection from the dead that day. We saw a physical resurrection. I will say that in confidence before God. I saw a physical resurrection from the dead. Amen. And it had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with, with these, anybody here. It had everything to do with God. Amen. Number three, the promise of the gift. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So for all of eternity, that's what that verse 7 is saying. For all of eternity, man, we're trophies of God's grace. We're going to be paraded around in eternity, and he's just going to be peeling back moments of, of his grace and, and showing us the riches of his grace and kindness. You know, we've all got testimonies of, of how good he is and how gracious he has been to us here on this earth. But this is saying for eternity, we're gonna be, we're, he's going to be just unveiling it. We're going to be seeing it unfold. Revelation 21.4 um, says, anybody know what 21.4 says? It says there will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more disease. One day, there's a promise in Scripture that we will be in glory. We will, we will see him as he is. We're going to be rejoicing in, in his goodness forever. Forever. That is our hope. That is our, come on. Yes. That is our hope, man. That, that should excite us, right? I'm ready. I want to go. But the fact is, as long as we have breath in these lungs... As long as we are able, we have a mission on this earth. We have a purpose on this earth. If the only purpose was our salvation, if the only purpose was, was a ticket to heaven, which that in itself, that excites me, and I'll, I'll dance all day long, and I've got two left feet. But that excites me, right? But that's not all there is. Um, I've heard it said that there is one reason that uh, God allows his church to remain on this earth. And that is to seek and to save the lost. We have a mission, church. And that leads me to my final um, point and my final verse in this, in this passage here. The purpose of the gift. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, many people 
we memorize verses 8 and 9, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a, not a result of works that no one may boast. But a lot of times we stop there. We stop with the gift of salvation. And we miss out on verse 10 right here. What God has and what he desires for us after salvation. What he desires for us after the new birth, after he's created this new heart, this new life. There is a purpose. It says we are God's workmanship. His, another translation calls us his masterpiece. Crafted with skill and a purpose. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are created in Christ Jesus. We are made new, the new birth. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And as we've established, hopefully today, and, and Lee, like I said, did a great t- job last week, that, that we, we're not saved by our works. And it's subtle. I want you to get this. We're not saved by our works. But they are a result and the evidence of our salvation. They are the result of a new heart. So what are the good works? What are these good works that were spoken of in here in verse 10? And why do we do them? They are works that honor God and they're done for his glory. They're works that flow from a grateful heart that has been created brand new. Remember when I said the foundation of the gospel in our life, that's from where everything else flows. That's what I'm talking about right here. It's from that place that everything else flows. That's where these good works flow from. The idea spoken of here in verse, verse 10 is that we walk in them. A lot of us, we're known for a lot of things, right? We're a skier or we're an athlete or we're whatever it is. You go on down the line. That's what it's talking about. It's known as a certain lifestyle, a certain way that you live your life. That's what we as believers are to be known for. Um, this means that the good works include your work environment. How do, how do you, how the people at work know you? On the construction site, in the office, what are you known for? In the schools, if you're a student, in the classroom, on the mountain, when you're driving down the road, Tracy never put a Jesus sticker on your, in your car. Um, <laughs> What are you known for? As a boss, if, if, you, if you're a boss, it's the way that you manage your employees. Do you lord over them that, that you're the boss? Or do you come down low and do you serve them like Jesus serves? What are you known for? Here's a good one. How do you spend your money? I'm going to put the finger on some hearts in here. How do you spend your money? Is it just all about consumption? Is it all about me, 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 me? Or do you take your budget before God and say, God, I'm yours. It's all yours. Do with it what you will. Help me to honor you with my money. Honor you with my finances. And as we grow in our faith and we begin to see ourselves as his masterpiece, we begin to, to, to walk this out and live it out more and more by his strength and for his purposes. Ephesians chapter 2, this verse here, 10, it's, it's like a lot of Paul's writings um, where he, he, he talks about all of life for the glory of God. And I'm going to burn through some, some scriptures here. Hang with me. Um, Romans 12.1, 
I urge you, therefore, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This offering doesn't take place right here on Sunday morning, church. It takes place out there in the community. And here, it, it takes place everywhere, right? Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not lose heart in doing good. 1 Timothy 6.18 says, Instruct the rich to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be gener- generous and ready to share. Lastly, Matthew 5.16 It says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So there it is right there. There, Notice the goal in this verse. It's that people will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Your life is pointing to something much greater than yourself. Good works, they, they flow from the gospel foundation in our lives and always glorify and point to God. And get this, they are, they are the keys. They are, they are keys that open doors for us to share the good news. Right? God will open doors for evangelism for us. And I think that, that we want to emphasize evangelism in this church more and more. But that oftentimes comes through our life out there on the streets, right? In the office. It's a life of good works submitted to God. Hear me out here. Th- th- these, we, be, we don't want to just be known for good works. I'm not interested in being just like a goody two-shoes. That's not how I'm wired. But man, if, I can, if I'm out there and I'm, I'm serving in, in the Lord and I'm doing everything in his name, I'm telling you right now, that opens up doors to preach the good news. That opens up doors to preach the gospel. I'm going to share this, this, this one last thing, and, and I don't share this to, to pat myself on the back, or, or uh, this is for practical, like take it or leave it. But um, I, I love to, I've been, I've been serving for a few years at the senior center, just delivering meals. And uh, yes, <laughs> and uh, yes, and, and so I, I do that out of love for people, yes, but more so out of, of just a grateful heart of what he has done in me. So I serve these meals, and I, every, every Friday I drive around and I deliver to homebound and, and, and seniors, and um, I cannot tell you the friendships that I've built, the opportunities that I've had to pray. I bring a meal to these people. They got, they're sick. They got cancer. They, they got something broken in their body. And you'd be surprised. You may, you may have a problem going up to someone uh, cold turkey on the street and say, can I pray for you? That can come across weird. I'm not saying don't do it. But man, when you're serving, when you're serving, and, and then you see a need, that cracks a door wide open to preach the gospel. Amen? So Derek, I got my notes to bring you back up here. Hi, Derek. He's back. Um, <laughs> But people aren't saved by, by watching our good works. They, they, that points them to the Father. They're, they're saved when they hear, when they hear and respond to the gospel. So in, in conclusion, I'm landing the plane here. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 through 15. 
This is for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's our mission, guys. That's our mission. The greatest gift is the gift of salvation, without a doubt. It's the good news. And God has entrusted us with that message as believers to steward it well and to share it with others. For it is the gift that keeps on giving. So Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for for this message. God, we ask you to have your way in our hearts and in our lives. Send us out, Lord, to the broken, to the poor, to the downtrodden, to the rich. Send us out, Lord. Send us out with your message. Help us to carry it worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.